0: So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting Bluehost.com. That's Bluehost.com.
1: On the program tonight, lowering America's standards, the SAT throws out time-based testing in the name of fairness. They say hard times create strong men.
2: Mr. Gorbachev...
1: Tear down this wall. Will America's softening standards lead to hard times? He said what? LLJ, cool, J, uh, That boy's got, that got, man's got biceps bigger than my thighs. President Biden's latest gaffe highlights a growing problem with his base. The first black Republican in Mississippi's legislature since Reconstruction tells us why he won't be the last. On second thought, what's that right there? What's
3: that? Okay. I
1: right. know. Voters in Oregon now regret making open-air drug markets all but legal. Can the state come back from the failed social experiment? And Republicans need a mirror. He's just a slob. He's a slob who got elected as a zombie. Maybe with Republicans this stupid, Democrats actually don't have to worry. Welcome to the Ferris Show on television. First tonight, this Monday, the dumbing down of America and its predictable results. Our latest example comes from a New York Times op-ed lauding the SATs relaxed standards. The SATs will be different next year, and that could be a game changer. This is all according to Adam Grant. He's a noted proponent of unleashing hidden talent and potential by changing standards. You see, with the problem, according to to Adam Grant of the SAT, and according to the article that he wrote, the problem with the SAT is that kids are put under time pressure. No different, of course, than the deadlines that they will face every day in the real world. The deadlines, for example, we face every day putting this show together. But starting next year, kids will get more time to answer less questions. It's fair to all the kids who don't do well under pressure. And it's, of course, just the latest example In just the past few years alone, we have seen standards lowered almost daily in education. Just check out the headlines. To increase equity, school districts have eliminated honor classes. Kill the honor classes for the best and the brightest. They're doing that in China as well, for sure. New York State has changed minimum scores for student proficiency in math and English. And it's not just in America's classrooms, of course. We've lowered standards for our military. The Army now has approved reduced physical fitness standards for women and older soldiers. A new test to ready U.S. soldiers for combat included deadlifts, planks, power throws, and push-ups, and a run. That proved too difficult for some, so the Army lowered the standards. We are, of course, in very different times than when the greatest generation stormed the beaches of Normandy to rid the world of tyranny. On the battlefield of war, there is no time out to catch one's breath. And of course, it's not just in the military or in education. The United States Senate has also lowered its standards. Senator John Fetterman didn't like wearing suits. They made him uncomfortable, so they eliminated the dress code so he could wear hoodies. I could, of course, go on. You, of course, have examples in your own life. The lowering of standards, though, are the luxuries of good times. The greatest generation didn't have that luxury, nor did the baby boomers who faced down the Soviet Union. But now people are allowed to have the most minor of complaints and expect the president of the United States to deal with the smallest of issues. Over the weekend, President Biden promised to attack the issues that matter most to Americans, quote from his Twitter account. Concert tickets are hard enough to get. You shouldn't have to pay surprise fees on top of that. My administration is working to crack down on those junk fees so you know what you are paying up front. When Taylor Swift tickets and the ticket fees become an issue for the president of the United States things must be pretty good in America. Of course they are good because the generations that came before. Here's former NBA star Aaron McKay explaining a cycle really as old as time.
0: Tough times create strong men. Strong men create easy times. Easy times create weak men. Weak men create tough times. Many will not understand, but you have to raise warriors.
1: Warriors, of course, survived the Great Depression and freed the world in World War II. That led to 80 years of prosperity for America. And now we have the luxury to lower our standards. George Will is here, Pulitzer Prize winning columnist, News Nation senior political contributor I struggled with whether or not to lead with this tonight. But at some point, isn't the lowering of standards the most important thing in America?
2: Of course it is. Standards, we're told, are out of date. Of course they are. That's why we call them standards. They they refer to the past. Leland, our nation was built by people who walked to Oregon. They walked through Indian country and over mountains. Now we're a country in which any seven-year-old who shows up for soccer gets a trophy. It's called a participation trophy. This is where we are. And if we think there's no cost to this down the road, we're mistaking ourselves.
1: So if lowering standards is such a good idea and leads to better outcomes and to be fair to the U.S. military and among others when they say we lower standards or we change the standards they produce studies which say it produces better outcomes and uh, diversity and equity leads to better outcomes and more strength why isn't China doing it?
2: Better outcomes for the military would be tested I should think in war and I think we have tested these so far the point of the military is to win wars the key here Leland is the phrase disparate outcomes, disparate impact. That is, if you give a standardized test and some identifiable cohort does worse than another identifiable cohort, under the modern understanding of equity, the disparate impact proves that the standardized test is wrong, unequitable, unfair. The Supreme Court has enunciated this doctrine a long time ago and it now permeates our society. All right, you think
1: about this in the historical perspective, because we are told that the American empire will last forever. It's lasted right now for for 80 years. But we think about the long-running empires, Roman Empire, Ottoman Empire. Roman Empire lasted nearly 1,500 years. The British Empire, 414 years. Is there parallels to things that happened in each of those places to what's happening now in terms of standards in America?
2: Well, the real parallel is that all the empires are gone note to, to people who, who think things are safe forever. The fundamental conservative lesson about life in two words, nothing lasts. Now you can increase your chance of lasting if you're the United States or the United States Empire or the British Empire by understanding that the world is tough. It has enemies in it, it has sharp edges and you'd better get used to it. Instead, we've now raised a generation of college students Only one-third of the country goes to college. They are objectively the most privileged and safest people on the planet. And what do they do? They get to college and they say, my God, we need a safe space and protection against trigger warnings. And we need bias response teams to fan out across campus and stamp out any speech that might make us sad.
1: Those on the other side, right, would say that the, the idea of us having come so far now, we have the luxury to impart more fair standards across, across colleges and therefore across life. Ronald Reagan, uh, I know somebody who you are quite a fan of, I don't want to go back to the past. I want to go to back to the past way of facing the future. Does a society ever go back to the past way of dealing with the future without having to endure some such terrible shock? to bring us back to those hard times.
2: No, it's usually the lash of necessity, the hard lash of necessity that does this. John Adams said a long time ago, he said, look, discipline, hard work, thrift, industry builds luxury. Luxury, unfortunately, breeds sloth and indifference and lethargy. So there's a kind of cycle built into history, some people think. The problem is, The cycle sometimes stops. You get to the bottom and you stay there, because hungrier, harder, tougher, more disciplined people have filled the space you used to occupy. Uh, A warning, perhaps. Good to see you, sir. Thank you very much.
1: This week, the crazy, breathless coverage over an impending government shutdown will only get worse as we look at live pictures of the Capitol. But you could fairly say that the coverage is already a little nuts.
4: The clock is ticking to avoid a government shutdown with less than a week to go. The paychecks of millions of federal workers hang in the balance.
1: In less than a week, much of the federal government will shut down if Congress does not provide more money for it to operate.
5: To avoid a shutdown by Saturday night, that means Sunday morning, October 1st.
6: Negotiations to avoid a potential government shutdown are making little progress, with House Republicans divided and a crisis appearing imminent.
1: All of that breathless coverage left out an incredibly interesting and important fact. We look now, right now, at pictures of the Ukrainian military. Because the Ukrainian military and the Ukrainian first responders will still get paid by America through the government shutdown. The Ukrainian weapons, the U.S. weapons flowing to the Ukrainian military, will continue to flow through the government shutdown. U.S. government workers, though, the U.S. military, even the Border Patrol, won't get paid during the government shutdown. But that Pentagon declaration means that tax dollars to Ukraine will keep right on flowing, not only in the form of weapons, but salaries to almost 60,000 Ukrainian first responders and even small business subsidies to Ukrainian yarn shops. Here's 60 Minutes reporting from last night
6: we were surprised to find that to keep it afloat the u.s government is subsidizing small businesses Super. like tatiana Abramov's knitwear company
1: in other words as we count down to a government shutdown the biden administration has figured out a way to keep us subsidizing among other things ukrainian yarn shops here now news nation contributor mick mulvaney i see you smiling it would be Kind of funny if it wasn't true
4: and uh, serious. You know, it is. Sometimes you just have to smile in this town. But yes, I think what you've what you've sort of exposed is the fact that. The administration that's in charge has a great deal of control over what a shutdown looks like. Uh, I ran the Office of Management Budget for Donald Trump in 2018, 2019, and ran that government shutdown. It looked very, very different than what the shutdown looked like under Barack Obama in 2013. And it will look very different than what a shutdown looks like if we go into it this weekend. It's, it's really sometimes sad, if, if it's not so funny, about how much politics can influence what a shutdown looks like.
1: What do we make of the coverage of the shutdowns that no matter who is
4: in Congress and no matter who is in the White House, Republicans get blamed? Yeah, you know, I, I wasn't, I didn't pay attention back in the 1970s, but there are actually five government shutdowns during the four years that Jimmy Carter was president, and the Democrats controlled the House and the Senate, and my guess is that was probably the Republicans' fault as well. It just is. It's 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 part of being the, gov- the, the party of small government, right? The party that cares about spending, about how fast government is, is growing, government as a necessary evil, as opposed to government uh, the Democrats think will be a savior of all your problems and so forth. I think there's a, there's a sort of a basic philosophy, but there's also some media can, bias to we, it.
1: We can sit here and argue about whether Republicans are still the party of small government and, yeah. and exactly how fiscally responsible uh, past administrations have or have not have not been. Sure. Uh, is we look at what's happening though? Um, there is an anger growing in America, especially about this issue of, of Ukraine and sort of the, the continued free flowing. Um, th- this is part of 60 Minutes' reporting as it relates to U.S. weapons inside of Ukraine. Take a listen.
6: Where would the Ukrainians be right now without U.S. weapons? How much of their country would they have lost?
2: Without that sort of aid, I think Ukraine would have been probably overrun, defeated, uh, certainly would have lost a lot more.
1: All right, so there is this debate now in the Republican Party, even internally, over how much to fund Ukraine. There's one thing to send weapons and say, look, these people are fighting the communists on their soil, so we don't have to fight them on our soil. Say, to paraphrase, Ronald Reagan. Okay. It's a whole different thing to be subsidizing their first responders and their yarn shops and their small businesses. At what point are, would sort of all Republicans be wise to begin calling? calling foul on this.
4: Now, I think it's the right time to have that conversation because keep in mind, you haven't even mentioned the biggest ticket item, which is the rebuilding of Ukraine after the war, which my guess is probably going to fall to us as well. I think what you're seeing is the natural sort of evolution here. There was, everybody was sort of caught up in this to begin with. Now, you're a couple years in. The numbers are really, really significant. There's a real question about corruption. Is the money getting where it needs to go? And I think it's now is the right time to start having these conversations. Now, you wonder if Republicans are going to be able to focus that that during during the shutdown, as the money keeps flowing, uh, I think interesting. Interesting. There was a there was a the deal cut between the right wing of the party and the center of the party did not include a dime of Ukraine funding. That tells you sort of where the party is when it comes to Ukraine going forward. All
1: right, thank you, sir. Good to see you. Good to see you as always. Uh, speaking of money here at home, and one of the reasons why people are so upset over funding to Ukraine is that more and more we are learning just how hard off Americans are. The money problem is specifically that more of us don't have any money. This past August alone, 39,000 Americans filed for bankruptcy. That's an 18% increase from the same time a year ago. The growing struggle of Americans makes this weekend's comments by Democratic Socialist Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez so confounding. She drives a high-end Tesla, famously made by non-union labor. Elon Musk, of course, doesn't like unions. AOC, of course, champions union causes... And was asked about the hypocrisy. In tonight's Yes, they actually said that.
5: Quoted back in July saying you look forward to buying a union-made electric vehicle. But you buy, but you currently have a non-union-made mm-hmm. Tesla UAW already makes some electric vehicles. So why wasn't that? Is it a problem with the the quality? Is it a problem with the style? Is the market just not there?
4: Uh, No, our car was purchased uh, during the pandemic when travel, before a a vaccine had come out. So travel between New York and Washington, the safest way that we had determined was an EV, but that was prior to um, some of the new models coming out on the market that had the range available. Uh, But we're actually looking into trading in our car now. So to
1: sum things up, the vaccines are to blame. And on day 10 of the union auto workers strike, the United Auto Workers strike, not to mention more and more Americans declaring bankruptcy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is looking to buy a new car. Voters in Oregon overwhelmingly say they made a huge mistake when they voted to decriminalize hard drugs. Crime, homelessness and drug overdoses have soared. Will other states begin to rethink their policies? We'll see in a minute. The first state in America to decriminalize drugs is having a change of heart. Scenes like this usually help. Portland, Oregon has one of the worst crime rates in the United States. The city has set records now over and over and over again for increases in homicides and shootings. Burglaries are a boom industry. 63,000 property thefts have been reported in the city of just 640,000. It's so bad that hometown giant Nike close down their Portland community store. That store had been open since 1984. Turns out doing away with most penalties for drug possession perhaps has some unintended consequences. In 2020, a majority of Oregonians thought they were setting a progressive example. 58% of folks voted to basically legalize what were in effect open air drug markets. No jail time for those caught with up to a gram of heroin or 40 oxycodone pills. Drug possession became the equivalent of a parking ticket. All you got was a fine, $100, no jail time, didn't have to go to jail. So here's what has happened. Overdoses across the state are up 61% compared to 13% nationally. The people who the liberal law was supposed to help stay out of jail are out of jail, but more of them are ending up in the morgue. And the the people who are not in the morgue or in jail have had enough. New polling shows that 63% want to bring back real criminal penalties for drug possession. And 56% of voters now want the whole lenient law overturned, a majority. Of course, some folks are celebrating the law as a success, saying that it has reduced the arrest of people of color. It has. It's reduced all arrests. Of course, the overdose rate of users has jumped 61%. People aren't in jail. They're in the morgue. Here now, co-founder and director of Oregon Recovers, Mike Marshall, who's been uh, open and honest about his own issues with substance abuse and recovery. Mike, uh, we appreciate you joining us. Read your article on NPR. Thank you. Um, is it, it at some point do we say that this may have been a, a little too progressive, perhaps need, needed to be rethought?
7: Well, Leland, you know, I opposed the measure and now I'm seeing it uh, finally implemented at some level. And it's doing some really uh, terrific things. And I would sort of push back on your opening segment in tying all of the rise in crime and certainly the rise in overdose rates to Measure 110. Most of the increase in crime is related to alcohol. Most people, alcohol is our number one killer. It's our number one contributor to gun violence, to uh, uh, fatalities, um, to hospitalizations. Measure 110 uh, is, Oregon is experiencing a huge uh, fentanyl crisis. And we're seeing a huge increase in drug overdose fatalities, but so are twenty-five other states in the country that didn't decriminalize. They're seeing overdose rates higher than ours. So, okay, so I don't Mike
3: would
1: I, I, contribute one I, to the other. I, I, maybe, maybe, maybe we had our opening wrong or not. I'm not going dis- to dispute it with you. I, I know what your opinion is. But people in Oregon seem to think that these things are all connected. They they don't like the results of 110 and the fact that people who are using drugs are now given traffic tickets rather than taken taken to jail so if these things aren't related do the people of oregon have it wrong too
7: no i think that there's um uh a lot of concern and and certainly our streets are in crisis uh we have a homeless problem uh and we have a lot of open-air drug use uh now is that related to measure 110 yes um Could it be solved tomorrow by the police actually confiscating the drugs that people are using? Yes, they chose not to, for understandable evidentiary reasons and everything else. But Measure 110 did not legalize drugs. It decriminalized possession of drugs. Those drugs are still illegal. So if the cops actually started going through downtown Portland, downtown Eugene, downtown Klamath Falls tomorrow and confiscated drugs, you'd see open-air drug use go way, way down. You'd probably see some drug overdose fatalities go down because you'd be interrupting people's use, and you would see the, um, uh, the price of street drugs go up, which is really the most important um, component of what we need to do to, in order to reduce drug use.
1: Okay, so if we raise the price of street drugs it lowers the use, but it's the police's fault that they're not confiscating drugs from people that they can't arrest because it's been decriminalized.
7: Uh, it's, it, it's not a fault per se. It's a fault in the law. It's a fault in Measure 110. It conveyed to folks that, okay, you can't be, uh, uh, your drugs can't be taken away from you because of Measure 110, and it's just not true. Um, however, they can't be prosecuted on misdemeanor charges anymore didn't get a civil violation. And the the good thing about Measure 110 is it finally introduced a civil violation. So people using drugs, their first experience was not to be thrown into jail. Their first experience was to get some sort of citation. Unfortunately, it was written really poorly Um, The police were not trained in how to implement it, nor did they appreciate that it was, you know, a ticket to uh, a pathway towards treatment. A flawed one at that I freely admit that. But um, uh, the issue here is that we need to align what the bill actually says, what the legislation actually says, with um, uh, a new approach to uh, 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 policing.
1: All right. Well, we, we we appreciate you being willing to come on and talk about it. Uh, obviously, we'll follow it, see where the polling goes, and whether um, whether this gets changed. Mike, thank you very much. Uh, this Absolutely. November. Yeah, coming up, this November, well, uh, probably too late for anything in Oregon to be on the ballot, but this November, Mississippi will likely elect their first black Republican to the state legislature since Reconstruction. You might have heard over the weekend about the ABC News poll showing President Biden down 10 points to Donald Trump, but the coverage of that poll misses a much more important point. The poll shows something that we've reported on for months, the rapid realignment of America's politics based Not on red versus blue or black versus white, but urban versus rural values. So let's look first by race. White Trump 57, Biden 38. Non-white Trump 42, Biden 51. Okay, so President Biden is up nine points among non-whites. That's a 10-point spread. In the 2008 election, then-Senator Obama won non-whites by more than 40 points. By environment. In urban areas, Trump 43, Biden 51, suburban Trump 52, Biden 44, in rural America. Remember, rural America used to be places like coal workers in Pennsylvania who were Democrats or coal workers in West Virginia who were Democrats. But now in rural America, Trump 68, Biden 27. Rodney Hall made history last month when he won the Republican primary for a seat in Mississippi's capital for the state legislature. He'll be the first black Republican elected to the legislature since Reconstruction and is with us now. Good to see you, sir. Thank you. Um, how, how did this all come about? Does this have anything to do with your race?
0: Leland, first, thank you for having me on here. Yeah, Big thank fan. you. Uh, and and you're absolutely right. Uh, the realignment of our values, not based on color uh, and not based on you know parties and this and that, but it really comes down to uh, the values that people hold, and I'm, I'm sorry, the Democrats, they have just, uh, they have lost uh, touch uh, with what they hear, the voices of the American people. And that has definitely helped uh, not just in Mississippi, but a lot of states across the South and a lot of states, which I think will be uh, in the future. You'll see a lot more black Republicans running and winning mm. in elections because our values and our principles uh, align more with the Republican platform, not the liberal platform.
1: It's interesting you say this, right? Because one of the things we've talked about on the show is both for Black and Hispanics, um, the Democratic mm-hmm. Party has taken taken those voting blocks for granted. Number one is they've moved over uh, towards embracing sort of progressive, college educated elitist values, um, which, which has been a change, right, because suburban whites used to be a, a known demographic for Republicans, a known voting bloc, and now that's that shifted um, a little bit. The Washington Post, when they wrote about you, uh, great piece, uh, and it goes through your history and your military service and the like, um, they called it ripples uh, of, of, of black Republicans. Black Republicans are making ripples in state and national politics. You think calling it ripples is fair? You know they'd uh
0: again they don't want to see uh what most people see on the ground. And let me let me share just an anecdote. Uh Leland, when I was out knocking on doors and I was very big on on the ground game, right, campaigning and, and canvassing, and I canvassed my district four times. I canvassed so wow. many times That every neighborhood that I went to, uh, Miss Helen, I could wave at her while she was walking to her mailbox. Mr. Bob, I saw him multiple times. And there came, there came about two months left where I had extra time. And he said, I said, you know what? I'm going to knock on every registered voter, Democrat, Republican, doesn't matter. Uh, non voters, young folks, old folks, doesn't matter. And when I started knocking on people that are considered Democrats, uh, in Mississippi, which is primarily black folks, uh, they had told me, no one has ever visited their house, ever. Not one candidate, not a Democrat, not a Republican in the past 10, 20 years. Democrats, they're losing their ground because wow. they've lost sight of, of the population. Well, and look, and it's,
1: yeah. it's interesting because for so long we've, we've been told that, that rural whites in places like Mississippi are so racist, um, and they are— <laughs> at least a, a large part of, of your voting block. I wanted to, before we go real quickly, I wanted to get your thought on what President Biden had to say when he was talking to the Congressional Black Caucus uh, over the weekend. Take a listen.
8: When my dad used to say everyone, everyone is entitled to be treated with
1: dignity and respect. The Congressional Black Caucus embodies all those values. Okay, so that was him talking to the Hispanic Caucus that he confused with the Black Caucus. We'll play the soundbite now of him talking to the Congressional Black Caucus uh, speaking about LL Cool J.
8: Two of the great artists of our time representing the groundbreaking legacy of hip-hop in America, LLJ Cool J. Uh, By the way, that boy's got, that man's got biceps bigger than my thighs. I think he's
1: you see anything in that that would have been a repro- problem if a white Republican had said it?
0: I'm sure they would have blown it out of proportion, just like uh, the liberal news media and, you know, a lot of folks like to do. Uh, and, you know, it's sad. Uh, I'm an Army guy. Uh, we have a thing called overkill and does our past have racism and, 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 uh, oppression back in the day? Absolutely. Well, we got to accept that. But, you know, the Democrats, at least in Mississippi and really across the nation, they continue to use that same drumbeat to try to hammer it home. But what they don't realize is what the Republicans are talking about, what my, in my state and across the country, safety, freedom, uh, opportunity, the ability to achieve the American dream. That's what Republicans stand for. And that's the message that we're leaning on, not trying to use anecdotes or, or, you know, celebrities Hmm. that we can't get the names right to try to win elections.
1: Mr. Hall, I have to say you're one of the rare politicians who, when uh, given a soft pitch, doesn't even uh, swing at it and talks about the issues. Uh, That's refreshing (laughs) and unusual. Um, I don't know how unusual it'll be in Jackson, Mississippi, at the Capitol. It's very unusual here in Washington. But uh, this will not be your last appearance on the show. We're glad to have you, sir. Thank you.
0: Well, always, uh, always a pleasure. Happy to come back.
1: Thank you for having me. Thank you. Good, good luck in your race. New polling shows a growing number of Americans don't believe, do not believe, we should enforce the First Amendment. They think it is not an inalienable right. Next, the new arguments from progressive elites to take away a basic tenet of American democracy.
0: It's how you hide a little, lie, little lie. It's how you hide a little, lie, little lie. It's how you hide a little, lie, little lie.
6: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
4: They're laundering
0: disinfo when we really should take note and not support their lies with our wallet, voice, or vote. Oh, it's how you hide a, hide a little, hide a little lie. It's how you hide a little, hide a little lie. It's how you
2: hide a little, hide a little lie.
1: Never gets old, really. Disinformation czar, Nina Jankowitz, well, new polling shows a growing appetite for Nina Jankowitz government-styled censorship, specifically among Democrats. Which is odd. Real Clear Politics found 47% of Democrats say free speech should be legal only under certain circumstances. 75% of Democrats say government has a responsibility to censor social media they deem hateful. In its write-up about the findings, Real Clear Politics noted the left's shift against free speech is relatively new development. Traditionally opposing censorship, whether imposed by government or corporations, was a bedrock principle of liberalism in this country. Host of the aggressive progressive podcast, Chris Hahn, is actually in the house, right here, not via remote. Here it is. That's not a real person,
5: Nina yeah, Jankowicz. What are you talking about? Oh,
1: really? Really? Okay, that's She's the best real. You have. That was
5: a real government appointee of the Biden administration. Yes. And that's
1: the best you have?
5: Uh, I, I'm going to just take the fifth on that
1: one. Just... Okay, come on. 75% of Democrats I, say government has I, a responsibility to censor no, social I,
5: I am not I'm not counted in one of those. I'm one of those free speech. So you're absolute. one of the, you're one, of the four, one in four Democrats. I, I'm one of the one in four. I, I think it's a Gen X thing. I'm a Gen Xer, right? I think these millennials that are dominating the party right now, they don't understand what the war was all these years. And they don't really get the fact that free speech is what has made us the greatest nation on earth. It's what won many of these fights that now they take for granted, like integration of our schools, like the ability to say no to the government. This is all a result of people exercising their right to free speech. And unfortunately, the generation that is behind me and the one that's
1: behind them are too far removed from those fights to understand it. I know you've watched the show religiously and since you were in the green room for the past 30 minutes, you were forced to. Does this go back to what we were talking about about the state, the changing standards of the soft generation of all of a sudden a generation that has it so good that they they don't have to worry about the absolute right of free speech. They get to be offended and say the government must protect me from mean
5: tweets. Well, I think it's more of the fact their parents protected them from everything, right? Uh, than the government. They they didn't have it great. I mean, but why do they believe I mean, they, they the government's pan- going to solve did have a, their they problem? Did have a pandemic why do they
1: think though the government's going to
5: solve a pr- their problem? I, I I don't know why they think the government's going to solve their problem. I think perhaps it's because the government spending in this country has been going up and up and up and up, and has been been putting more and more in their in, in their reach than it has in the past, and I think also the pandemic has skewed the way a lot of people look at what government does. Some people view what the government did during the pandemic as, as wonderful and and should be done for everything. I think it should be a you know a very rare circumstance what happened in the pandemic and I don't think we're going to see that for at least oh, another generation
1: only thirty one percent strongly disagree only thirty one percent strongly agree with the statement I disapprove of what you say, but I will defend to the death. your right to say it, which is a bedrock yeah, principle my principle. Uh, of of America what is so concerning I mean, I was a me, liberal so, on
5: Fox for t- 13 What is so years. <laughs> troubling to me about this, and I'll give you the last right.
1: word, is that so much of what was censored during the pandemic in the name of misinformation, disinformation, which is what this poll is talking about, turned out later to be true. Well, remember, it wasn't the government that was doing that the government, The government was putting pressure on social but media companies to do it. They Come weren't on, Chris. doing it. They were putting the pressure. The companies were doing it, right? And those platforms Come on. are not. Remember, the First Amendment applies
5: to government. The government shall pass no laws limiting speech. Not Twitter, Facebook. Come on. They can paste whatever law
1: they want. That's yeah, capitalist. That, but the, gov- the government shouldn't also be allowed to put pressure on Twitter. You know that. Come
5: on. I, I think that, you know, it'd be naive to think that governments across this planet throughout history haven't put pressure on the private sector to do what they wanted to do. This government's done it. Governments before it has done it. Governments in the future uh, will do it. It's unfortunate. Okay. That's I promise you the do. last
1: word. I will, I will not back down on that. Good <laughs> nice to, to see, see you, it. sir. you. Thank you. Coming up, residents of East Palestine, Ohio, are still waiting for a visit from President Biden, while newly released video of the disaster shows just what it looked like on the ground when their world changed forever. See you in a minute. (music) President Biden leaves the White House tomorrow, Marine One to Andrews Air Force Base, and from there he heads to Detroit. He'll be on the picket lines with the United Auto Workers on that flight route. He will come very close, if not precisely, to flying over East Palestine, Ohio, a place that he has promised over and over to visit, and he has not. Because, of course, if you took the word of the U.S. government, things are just fine in East Palestine. In fact, the street along Norfolk Southern's main line is fully reopening today. Never mind the weird illnesses plaguing the town. Never mind the independent tests confirming toxins. We've broken those stories here on News Nation. Never mind Mr. Biden's unfulfilled promise of visiting the town. And never mind the fact that it took the Transportation Secretary, Pete Buttigieg, 10 days to fully even acknowledge the disaster. Chris Cuomo has spent the day on the ground in East Palestine. He's doing his show from there tonight and tomorrow uh, and is joining us now with a preview. Hi, Chris.
8: How you doing? That's why I have on my nifty News Nation field shirt. Uh, it was a very depressing day here in East Palestine, uh, going around uh, having all the questions just fall on your head. Uh, literally being greeted with what has been described as this sweet chemical smell. Uh, I had only heard about it. And today I thought I was like my mind was playing tricks on me that I was smelling it. You know what I mean? Like the power of suggestion. And then someone who lives on the street. In fact, I think you showed her house um, right in the backyard of where the uh, chemicals were lit on fire. Uh, said, oh, no, I'm smelling it today. I just called the hotline. I haven't smelled it like this in months. And maybe it's because of what they're digging up as part of their remediation. But look, there's a lot going on here norfolk southern has a lot of resources they're pumping a lot of money in but that doesn't mean there aren't questions first of all you have a significant oversight problem on the ground here i've been doing this a long time leland i've never seen a situation where the federal government could be involved where they are less involved than what i see here now they'll say well it's not an emergency declaration area so that's why but why isn't it there are a lot of questions leland a lot of questions
1: why do you think these folks have seemingly been left in ha- behind and forgotten about by the administration? When, when you talk to folks on the ground, wh- what do they say about that? Why is it so important and why have you made this such a, a cornerstone of your show to cover? It's only it's only a couple hundred, maybe a thousand people in the town that are left.
8: Um, you know, well, look, I mean, they have four or five thousand people. I mean, not everybody can be here right now, even though the EPA... Uh, stop the evacuation some five or six days after the tragedy. Look, I see East Palestine as a metaphor uh, that there are East Palestinians all over this country. I'm not saying that they're trained derailments and exploded chemicals all over the country. But uh, there are places that feel that they're being left behind, people who uh, feel disaffected and forgotten and not cared about. And that's the job of government is to make everybody feel that they're going to matter if their time comes. You take care of the people in places where they can't take care of themselves. That's the job of government. And I see this as a failure. Now, I understand why a Democratic White House has kept arm's length from this. I get it. They didn't come right away. It's a ruby red area. Trump got in there. Uh, it didn't seem that it made sense. There wasn't an emergency declaration. No one was dead. I get it. But politics is not the end analysis of humanity and leadership. And literally, as you noted, the president's going to be 150 miles from here or so tomorrow. And instead of coming here after he goes to Detroit, he's going to San Francisco for fundraisers. Why not just come here and make a stop and let the people know you care?
1: Why not do it? Yeah. Yeah, Look, we ask the questions. And at the times when um, government fails, that's when the media steps in. And you've made this a... A hallmark of your show, an important one. Uh, we'll see what happens with the beard tomorrow. I'm, I'm curious about that. Um, we'll be watching when beard goes, brother. The beard, goes, brother. The beard right. goes. Oh well, you, you ruined my team. I was Come only on. wearing I was the to beard. Get the people to watch. I was all right. I was only wearing
8: I, it until you got engaged. Now that you're engaged, it's it. I can get rid of it. <laughs> Welcome to the club, brother. The
1: water's warm. Thank you. Well, here's the thing. I'm not sure who was more surprised, uh, she that I asked or I that she said yes. So we'll deal with that at a later, a later time. Uh, you anchor live from East Palestine tomorrow, uh, talking with the community, fighting for answers and help after the devastating train derailment. Uh, we know you've got a great uh, panel and show lined up, 8 p.m. Eastern here on News Nation. Republicans cannot stop attacking John Fetterman. But maybe that means they should start looking inward instead of outward for 2024.
7: He's just a slob. He's a
8: slob who got elected as a zombie in Pennsylvania. And now he's a senator and everyone knows it's a joke. He even knows it's a joke. He's just a slob. He's a slob who got elected as a zombie in Pennsylvania. And now he's a senator and everyone knows it's a joke. He even knows it's a joke. His family knows it's a joke. Democrat Party looks like a joke for putting him on the dais in that outfit. And we look like a joke as a country.
1: That's Fox and Friends co-host Pete Hegseth talking about Pennsylvania Senator John Fetterman. Of course, Hegseth neglected to add that his personal god, Donald Trump, endorsed Dr. Memon Oz, someone who lost to that, quote, zombie slob. Colby Hall is here, Mediaite co-founder, On Balance resident philosopher. Colby, it got me thinking, with Republicans as stupid as this, maybe Democrats don't have to worry.
3: Well, sometimes, you know, the Republicans are literally... The Democrats' best friends when it comes to this thing. Underlying Hegseth's uh, comment is a bit of truth. It's stunning that Fetterman, post-stroke, was who was able to unable really to sort of debate in a cogent manner was elected. But what's even sort of more shocking is that he was able to get elected because Oz lived in New Jersey and was not ready for a political. Campaign and still lost to the quote slop zombie that Heg said Hegseth called out. So yeah, the Republicans you know had sort of a shot themselves in the foot on this one. Yeah, it just seems to be that there's absolutely
1: no recognition by Republicans still, even after all this. And look, you know, you you at media I wrote up when we did a segment about how Tucker Carlson basically said the same thing. And there's just this complete lack of realization that. When you run fundamentally flawed candidates, even someone who has post-stroke cannot complete a sentence as John Fetterman can't, are more appealing to voters uh, than than the Republican choices. I'm wondering how much you think that the Republican echo chamber contributes to this. Why have Republicans not figured this out?
3: well i think we all live in our own partisan bubbles particularly in sort of we consume media that reinforces our our own confirmation bias right so uh if you are a republican i mean the democrats have long been in this bubble with you know sort of mainstream left leaning um media outlets but so too if you are conservative you're consuming just the same media and you, you, you don't necessarily have someone to push back on that so yeah i think absolutely i think you know these individuals don't necessarily hear themselves speak and don't realize that they're just as bad and you know it, it happens on both sides
1: yeah uh it, it does and republicans have handed the democrats another uh, enormous gift with uh, some comments about mark milley that were uh I don't. know, sort of repulsive. I think you'd probably not along in agreement when I when I say that. Um, Colby, we got to run. It's good to see you. We got Chris coming up here in about thirty seconds uh, at the top of the hour tomorrow. Uh, something sort of remarkable has happened. Legos, the the very popular kids' toy. Well, they they tried for a long time, years, to stop making their products out of plastics, which of course come from petroleum, which everyone hates. Petroleum. It turns out uh, that the The green stuff created more pollution than the petroleum. The irony of that is,